Sure, we have 30 seconds to tell you that drivers who switch to Progressive could save big. But then what? Well, radio has been called theater of the mind. So let's tell a story with sound effects. Wow, it's like I was in the story. Almost makes me forget this was supposed to be about saving big with Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Any workout, any mood, any time. That's what the Peloton Tread is all about. From interval runs that motivate you to go the extra mile, power walks that work up a sweat, rolling hill hikes for you to enjoy, and full body boot camps to hit your goals. Plus thousands of workouts that go beyond the tread. Strength programs, core classes, yoga, Pilates, and even boxing. Everything you need on and off the Peloton Tread. Experience it all for yourself with a 30-day home trial. Learn more at OnePeloton.com. artificial intelligence and maybe because you watched a movie about it you're ready for sentient robots and Skynet looking at humans and saying we don't need them but the reality is probably extremely different robot or AI consciousness will not be like human consciousness and here to set the facts straight and really dive deep into what it means to have artificial general intelligence is our guest, Peter Voss. Peter is a serial AI entrepreneur who's devoted a considerable amount of time, effort, energy, and has a tremendous passion for the topic of AI. Get ready for a really deep discussion. Pull back the curtain to artificial intelligence. Let's go. back in the network this time with Mr. Peter Voss. Thank you for being on, Peter. Yeah, thanks for having me. Of course, of course. So I want to learn a little bit about your background, kind of your start in business and kind of leading up to where you are now. And I believe artificial intelligence is a big part of your life, correct? 
Uh, yes, it certainly has um, dominated my life over the last 20 years. Uh, so just going back on how I, uh, how I got to artificial uh, intelligence is I actually started as an electronics engineer, then started my own company, fell in love with software, and my company turned into a software company. And we actually grew very rapidly. Um, I developed an uh, ERP system, sort of a general accounting system for small businesses. Um, I also developed a, a database system, programming language, and all sorts of interesting things. Um, but the company grew um, rapidly. We actually did an IPO. That was super exciting. Um, but it's exiting the company. I That gave me the freedom to actually pursue something that had been bothering me for a long time, and that is that software is really quite dumb. You know, whatever the programmer didn't think of, um, it'll just crash or give you some, you know, bad response. Yeah. And I really wanted to figure out how we can build software that can reason, that can have some common sense, that basically that can be intelligent. So um, I took off five years to really deeply understand what intelligence entails, um, you know, starting with philosophy, um, theory of knowledge, epistemology. How do we know anything? What is our reality? What is our relationship to reality? How can we be certain of things and, and so on and so on? Um, and then also cognitive psychology. Um, what do IQ test measure? Um, how do children learn? How does our intelligence differ from animal intelligence? All of those things, and then what had been done in AI. So over a five-year period, I came up with a, a, a theory of how we could possibly build a, a thinking, learning machine. And then in 2001, I actually um, coined the term artificial general intelligence, or AGI, together with two other people. We wrote a book on the topic. And that is really to get back to the original dream of AI to build thinking machines, uh, 2001, I also started my first AI company, hired about 12 people. And for several years, we were just in R&D mode, trying trying to get my ideas, you know, working, basically experimenting around and, and uh, building various prototypes. And then by 2008, uh, we actually had this, developed this to launch our first product uh, to automate calls in the call center. You know, everybody hates it when they call into a, company and they talk yeah. to robot and just want to press zero to get to an operator. That's true. <laughs> so um, with with my company, Smart Action, we basically provide a better experience um, where it actually understands what you're saying. It remembers what you said earlier. Uh, so it's sort of, you know, early stages of working towards human level understanding and conversation. Um, yeah, so that's how I got into AI and uh, really has dominated my, my life, my, my, been my passion for the last 20 or more years. So how has the field of AI changed over the course of that time in terms of like how it's viewed in the relationships with how it's helping or the concerns for humanity? Yeah, a very good question. I mean, a lot has changed. Um, you know, we were sort of in an AI winter in around 2000. If you said you had an AI company, you were doing AI, you know, people would either yawn or say, well, no, we've, we've tried that before and it hasn't worked. Um, so AI wasn't super exciting. And then about eight, nine years ago, there was, was a breakthrough in 
companies that had a lot of data, you know, like Google and Amazon, uh, had a lot of computing power, and they basically figured out how they could use some algorithms that had been around for a long time and actually get them to do something really useful. And th that field is now called deep learning, machine learning. Mm -hmm. And there's just been a you know explosion of, of applications for much better speech recognition, image recognition used for autonomous cars. Uh, and of course, the technology is mainly used for targeted advertising. You know, that's worth billions of dollars. And that's what kind of driving the industry. And then in the last few years, about five years ago, four years ago, you know, basically everybody had to put a dot AI, you know, your company had to be an AI company. So suddenly everybody wanted to be in this field and wanted part of the action. You know? yeah. So it, it has changed uh, a lot. Well, you know, when you think about it, I think a lot of people, they also see AI through the lens of movies and science fiction and those things, how much of that is reality or how much of it is just, you know, an exploration into creativity and entertainment? Yeah, I mean, sometimes, uh, you know, science fiction does give you a, a, a vision, a view into the future um, in, in terms of, you know, having personal assistants that you can talk to. I mean, we've seen that in movies for a long, long time. And it's starting to happen. And of course, that's what our company is, what I'm focusing on is conversational AI. But, uh, you know, generally, um, you know, drama obviously is, you have to have drama in movies. Mm -hmm. So a, a lot of what we see in the movies is just totally unrealistic in terms of uh, AI going rogue and taking over the world and, <laughs> yeah. and the way it does and robots going crazy. I, I mean, we have tremendous difficulties in getting robots to walk at all or yeah. to open a door, you know, never mind to do the fantastic things that they, that they do in the movies. Um, so yeah, the, the risks of AI that we, we see in movies are certainly quite unrealistic. Um, I think the biggest risks in AI are quite frankly is, incompetence, um, you know, either on the engineering side or on the management side in letting loose things that haven't been tested properly ah. and just that they'll do a bad job, not that they'll, you know, kill anyone. I mean, yeah, it might kill people out of incompetence if like in a self-driving car or something, but yeah, not, not intentionally. What is, speaking of that, so it seems like there's a lot of attention paid to AI and self-driving cars. What is it about that sector that seems to be driving a lot of the conversation in, in, in this field? Yeah, so I, I think companies are starting to realize that self-driving cars, to, to get it working in a very general way, the way a human can drive a car, is actually much, much, much harder than they thought. You know, they, there's sort of some low-hanging fruit that if you can map a territory exactly with GPS and, and you know, exactly what to expect uh, and you can train the, the system for the, the kind of environment that you're, you're in, like, you know, like they have in Silicon Valley and some, some areas, um, you can get the system to work pretty well. Or, mm -hmm. you know, like I actually own a Tesla, 
freeway driving to you know automatically keep distance and and yeah. even change lanes uh, yeah it can do a pretty job a pretty good job of that but there is what what's called a long tail and those are basically all the exception cases that you have that a human can can deal with you know somebody mm-hmm. digging up digging up the road or um, a, a signal not working or something obviously that just doesn't make any sense you should ignore um, and the, you know AI is a long way from being able to cope with with all of these uh, edge cases that require a knowledge of reality of you know that we just pick up growing up in in the real world um, so to to be able to just trust a car for your, you know, to pick up your kid and take it the other side of town. Um, I think that's a long way away. Um, I mean, I love what Elon Musk is doing, but his hype about fully self-driving cars uh, being around, you know, being around the corner. uh, No, that's, that's not, that's not going to happen. Yeah. I, I, I think it's interesting for the public. We see this huge kind of exponential growth in all these things. And we think, well, this is going to be here way sooner than not. But it seems like that this kind of narrow AI is really what's happening currently or general versus the, I think people hear they kind of, the term sentient AI, we're a long way from something like that or even understanding that. Is that correct? Yes, well, in in terms of understanding it, I think the uh, you know the, the the work that I did and you know some other people working on what we call cognitive architectures, mm. and I'll talk more a little little yeah. more about that. Um, we actually believe that we have a pretty good understanding of what's entailed in in consciousness and uh, deep understanding and and so on, but it's very different from the statistical brute force big data systems that you have. You you mentioned narrow AI, and I think that's a very good way of encapsulating pretty much everything that's been done in AI up to now. Mm. Well, not, you know, the vast majority of work done right. in AI is uh, is an er- narrow AI. And th- there's a good reason for that. I mean, when the field was, uh, you know, and the t- term was coined originally 60 years ago, it was about building thinking, learning machines that can think and learn and reason the way humans do. And that turned out to be really, really hard. So what people started doing is say, well, what if we just concentrate on solving one particular problem? You know, like IBM did brilliantly with um, Deep Blue uh, becoming the world chess champion. Um, But that was narrow AI. It was basically taking the programmer's intelligence uh, on how can we solve this problem using a computer? And then writing a program to do that using the brute force capabilities and the ingenuity of the engineer to be- create this world champion, uh, you know, beating um, AI. But it's a narrow AI. It wouldn't do anything else. It wouldn't. It can't even play checkers, you know. Mm. And it, it certainly couldn't have a, hold a conversation. And and the same thing, a, a very similar with Jeopardy. Um, Again, IBM, brilliant, you know, that they managed to yeah. um, be champ, Jeopardy uh, champion. But it's, an, it's, a, it's a narrow system. As it turned out, actually, that the majority of right answers you could find in the first two paragraphs of Wikipedia article. Huh. So if, you know, once you kind of figure that out, you could tune the system to doing that. And, you know, that system certainly couldn't play chess or, you know, learn to do anything else. It was, again, the ingenuity um, of the engineers putting it together using the, the, the brute computing power 
and using all of various algorithms that had been developed, putting them together in a very clever way that achieved that op- op- objective. Um, similar with, with Go Go Champion. Yes. You know, so this is narrow AI, and it's really using human intelligence to design the algorithms or train the data sets necessary to solve a particular uh, problem. But what we're really interested in ultimately what AI is and what I call real AI or artificial general intelligence to kind of make that distinction from narrow AI um, is a system that can inherently learn to play chess, um, you know, learn to do uh, well at Jeopardy and can, you know, learn interactively, can reason and acquire common sense. Um, and but that's a much harder problem. But ultimately, yeah. that's what we want to do. Well, you talked about a little bit about like deep learning and machine learning. Could you explain a little bit more about that and how that has changed? And was that part of the whole Go aspect of it that it learned how to play it without being taught? Absolutely. Yes, exactly that. So uh, DAPA have. Um, have given some presentations where, where they talk about the three waves of AI. And I think it's quite a useful categorization. And the first wave is what many people call good old-fashioned AI. It's basically the work that that was done really for the last few decades in artificial intelligence, mainly logic-based systems with maybe some uh, some statistics, but mainly kind of logic logic-based systems like expert systems, for example. Uh, And Deep Blue was was an example of of, of that, the world chess champion. Um, But then, um, and there were some neural networks as well, but they never really took off. They didn't, uh, that's not really what was driving AI. And then about eight, nine years ago, um, this this breakthrough happened where people figured out how they could use massive amounts of data and massive amounts of computing power to build statistical models. So you basically have lots and lots of examples uh, that are categorized in a certain way, like in images. You would you'd feed it hundreds of thousands of images yeah. that would be tagged that this is a you know flowers, this is a bicycle, this is a whatever, mm-hmm. and then uh, basically the system is, is set up in a certain way. You tune certain parameters, and it can then build a prediction model, a statistical model, that if you now show it a picture it hasn't seen before, it can slot it into one category and can say, well, with you know, 92% accuracy, uh, confidence, I, I think this is, this is a flower, you know, sunflower or something. Yeah. And, um, and, and the same t- technology is basically used for speech recognition where you can feed in lots of utterances. You tell the system what the utterance actually means, uh, you know, in, in text. And then when it hears something else, it can match it to whatever the closest, closest sound that has been uh, trained on. And, um, you know, that is very powerful, uh, provided you use the system within the kind of set, the data set that was in, in training. Um, once you go outside of that, um, it, it, it fails. Um, it doesn't do well. Yeah. The, the other problem is um, if, um, you know, say 95% of, of the time you take a certain action, but 5% of the time you take a different action, a statistical system um, is either going to randomly 
give you 95% of the time the one answer and 5% the other answer, uh, which isn't going to it isn't going to help you, you know, if, yeah, if there's yeah. a re- reason, you know, like when should you be going through a red light? You know, uh, there may be a, a reason 1% of the time or 0.1% of the time you should go through a red light because there's an ambulance behind you or whatever, you know, uh, but it, the statistical system um, would just either always give you say, well, you, you never go through a red light uh, or you randomly go through a red light, you know, once every thousand times Mm -hmm. um so that's pretty bad that's Um, very bad so (laughs) yeah so they can't reason they can't reason about things they can't learn things interactively where you might teach it this is an exception okay and the reason we have this exception because there's an ambulance behind you and this is what an ambulance sounds like you'd have to go back now and specifically train the system with examples of what ambulances sound like and you know what what you should then do so, yeah, so the, uh, this is, you know, where these systems uh, fall short. But so that's the second wave of, of AI. And then what DARPA call about third wave of AI is really systems that inherently are designed more the way uh, human thinking, the way intelligence really works, that you can reason about things. You, you take input, you hear something, you see something, and you first digest it, you make sense of it. What does this mean? Uh, is this ambiguous? Do I need to get more information? Do I need to think about it? And then you learn this information. You remember it. You can use this as a memory. You remember what was said, you know, two sentences ago, what happened uh, two minutes ago, and you can use that as context. Um, so that interactive learning, the deep understanding, the reasoning ability, uh, having a system that has all of these components is what is the third wave of AI. And that's um, another way of looking at it. It's a cognitive architecture, the system that has all of the components required for intelligence. Is on, on piggybacking off of that, and you said you took like that five years to learn about intelligence. What was surprising when you were taking that? What did you learn that was surprising to you about intelligence? So, um, I mean, there were, you know, Many, many smaller things, but in terms of intelligence itself, I actually worked on a project to design a new um, IQ test. It's not really an IQ test. It's cognitive process profile. So it's mm-hmm. basically, it tries to externalize people's thinking processes. Uh, but you can then, by doing this, you can actually uh, draw a profile of what somebody's cognitive strengths are and which areas they can potentially develop more and which areas they're probably just not that suited to. Um, and the the one interesting thing I, I, I learned there was that metacognition is actually a single, single sort of dimension that's most predictive of general intelligence, of, you know, uh, to what high level type of t- cognitive task somebody can handle. And what metacognition is, is really being aware of, the reasoning strategies you employ. So, for example, some problems that you come across uh, require that you think about it in a very detailed, methodical way. Other problems you come across, this wouldn't help you. You really need to think more abstractly, more intuitively about things because it's just too complex. You couldn't, you know, pin it down exactly. It might even be ambiguous in it in its nature that you might simply say, well the best I can come up with is this solution or that solution. You know, other uh, problems you come across may rely on on memory. 
And so uh, for people who can automatically adapt their thinking strategy and style to the problem at hand, uh, th- those tend to correlate m- most highly with with intelligence. So metacognition being such basically mm. being such an important part. Uh, that that was uh, I think an important insight. Um, other things I can think of is the importance of concept formation. So that is going back to epistemology, uh, theory of knowledge. Um, what is really so different in human intelligence versus animal intelligence? And it's, the, the, the key is that we can form concepts of concepts of concepts, you know, any hierarchy. So le- a limitless um, level of abstractions that we can do, and animals can't do that. You know, and that is how we can uh, comfortably deal with concepts like government or marriage or something and understand uh, what, what that means. Um, on the AI side, the thing that probably surprised me the most is the schism between uh, connect and, uh, connectionist uh, approaches, neural networks on the one hand, uh, and symbolic. Um, and these were just two completely separate camps. And I went to, I went went to lots of conferences in both of them, and I was just amazed that they didn't talk to each other. You know, I would hear one problem and a yeah. solution in a connectionist uh, side um, and go, you know, go over to the symbolic side and, and they'd be using completely different language, but in many cases solving the same problem and often in a, in a similar way. And so that was a big insight to say, well, you know, you have to integrate the, the insights. You have to be able to look at a problem either from a symbolic point of view or connectionist and feel comfortable that they really it's just sometimes the one perspective is more useful than the other one but they're both valid and compatible yeah no, no it's interesting definitely interesting insight how has this shaped your view of consciousness you had mentioned that as well how, how what did how did you see that before you spent this time learning and where did you where did that take you in terms of your understanding of consciousness after yes so I, I don't think I'd spent too much time worrying about sort of deeply understanding consciousness, uh, you know, before it wasn't uh, that I, I don't think it was like that super mysterious, but I also didn't mm-hmm. really try and, you know, uh, I, I understand it well enough to be able to possibly explain it to somebody or to write about it or whatever. So then getting into AI and, uh, and understanding intelligence, um, uh, I did spend a lot of time thinking about that and uh, trying to understand that better. And, um, you know, it's not it's not something that's sort of easy to explain uh, to the general public because you need to take into account where the other person is coming from. You know, what mm-hmm. do they already believe is obvious or clear to them? Uh, what is mysterious? What isn't mysterious? But um, maybe what I could just say here is... Um, that once you change the wording and you don't talk about consciousness, but you talk about awareness, it kind of takes the mysticism or the sting out of out of the the concept. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, uh, it's much easier for to to talk about awareness because then, okay, so you're aware of certain things. You're aware of your body. Um, you're aware of your thought process. You're aware of your emotions. You're aware of your surroundings, and so on. And um, Coupling that with the insight of how important abstract concepts are, 
you basically have a self-concept through the awareness that you have of your body, of your mind, your thinking or emotions and, and reality. And you see the <clears throat> distinction between things that you originate in some fashion that you initiate and things that other people or other things initiate in the world, you know, that you are an agent. So the self-concept uh, of, of being aware of yourself as an acting entity is really ultimately what consciousness is. And then there's just kind of the, the weird part that, yeah, it feels a certain way, but of course it has to feel a certain way. And, you know, that, that's sort of the mystery of consciousness. Um, and like Daniel Dennett says, you know, consciousness explained, and some people criticize him of consciousness yeah. explained away. But um, I, th I think it, it really is ultimately that simple, uh, even though it is obviously profound experience that we have of, of being aware, being conscious. Is, is this the, the concept of consciousness, is this a large portion of future AI of, I know you said that and understanding it, but is this like a lot of the work for the future of it is developing kind of robotic or AI-based consciousness to mimic what we have, our own understanding of consciousness? Um, actually, uh, surprisingly, I, I believe you need to do almost nothing to achieve consciousness and AI Huh. Uh, other than uh, creating the the right level of intelligence, you know, sufficient level of intelligence, and something I, I just mentioned is that basically it's a it's forming a self concept, and once you have an AI or robot and AI, whether it's robotic or not, that has the ability to form a self concept spontaneously, uh, it will basically have the beginnings of of consciousness. Now, it's going to be a very different kind of consciousness. Obviously, yeah. it doesn't have, you know, the same body, the emotions, the, you know, all of the different chemicals and senses and, you know, heartbeat and, and, and whatnot, all of the very complex signals that are part of our conscious experience. Um, but no, I don't believe that we need to specifically or that you even can specifically uh, program or design consciousness in in ai it's a it's a byproduct of uh hmm. high level intelligence in my opinion so the ai gets to the point where it 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 understands that it is a thing or that it has its you know that it's conscious mm -hmm. what happens after that like what is the thought process of how ai would behave once it was aware of itself yeah uh Actually, to answer that question, uh, uh, let me actually go back and, and elaborate on something else you asked earlier, sort of what, what did I learn about consciousness and so mm -hmm. on um, that was, was new and different. And um, the one thing that I did learn, and I spent actually six months working on, on this, and I, I've written quite extensively about it, is the issue of free will, mm. of, of volition. And um, it's always interested me because I've been interested in ethics and morality. And, you know, if we don't have free will, how can we be responsible for our actions? And if we have free will, then how can evolution make sense? Uh, and, you know, the materialism that, you know, obviously is behind the functioning of our brain and, and so on. So that's something I, 
I didn't really understand well enough. And um, uh, as I say, I've written written about that now, and and I, I realized that uh, free will, whether we have it or not, really depends on the definition of of, of free will. Mm. Uh, if it's free of anything, uh, well, then we don't have free will. But if it means are we free? Do we have a capacity, the ability uh, to choose among um, options in you know in, in in life? Then yes, we have that, and that's very very powerful that we have it. Um, so in one way, we have less free will than some people might think, and one definition of free will. And, and on the other hand, we have more than people might think. Right. Um, so that that we can use our intelligence to uh, to do that. So. The reason I mentioned that is when you when you talk about um, how will AIs behave once they become conscious, one has to realize that AI isn't inherently going to have the evolutionary baggage, as a, as one might call mm. it, that that we have. Um, I mean, obviously, ev- evolution is the reason we're even here and talking, but there's also the 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 baggage that we have, you know, to. Um, uh, you know, basically survival and reproduction, you know, to uh, put it crudely, rape and pillage. And, you know, it's sort of our civilization and our higher level processing and thinking that uh, has evolved systems to to basically get away from these basic instincts, you know, to say they don't serve us well, it's not the done thing. And, um, you know, we, we get educated to, to not not respond to them uh, as yeah. much uh, programmed or whatever. Now, an a- AI isn't going to have that starting point at all unless we very specifically program it in. It's not going to have a, uh, a survival drive or reproduction drive. Uh, it's not going to have some of the other things that come with it, like the ego that we have mm. um, that we need need to protect. So, a, a lot of um, a lot of things just aren't going to be there, and you know people aren't going to program them in un, unless you know I don't know they want to prove a point or something. But yeah. then those AIs aren't going to be very useful uh, if they have their own ego and then do what you <laughs> want them to do. Um, so the AIs aren't going to inherently have a motivation to take over the world or to 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 do anything like you know it's easy to put it in, into into a movie to sort of attribute human motivations to an AI, but it's simply not going to have those. It will, as it's conscious, it will realize, well, yeah, I'm a machine. I was built by humans to help them do stuff. Cool. You know, I mean, it's not right, even that they'll right. say cool. You know, it's not that they'll say cool. That's but, interesting. <laughs> that's a, that's a um, different way. I don't think people are thinking yeah. about it that way, Peter. I think they're assigning human consciousness into uh, AI. Con- like there's, they're making this, uh, deferring that into it and go, yeah, well, they'll think we're not necessary because we're biological in nature and this is not good for the future of the planet and things. But it's an interesting way you're putting is that they won't think like us. In that yes, I, absolutely not, because a lot of our thinking is shaped by by our emotions, you know, and by our the in, inherent survival and reproduction that's so deeply ingrained in us. I mean, otherwise we wouldn't be here. Right. Yeah, I think, and I think that's an important distinction to make because I think that's what's popularized in movies and things is that there will be some level of human emotion assigned to AI that would create this rift between us. You know? 
Correct. And there, there is a school of thought in AI that um, that believes that AIs will, uh, that sort of human level AI will will be achieved through um, evolutionary methods. You know that we mm. that they will evolve. Now, if if that was the case, uh, you know one could, one could make a case for that. That if if um, AIs had to sort of uh, compete each outcompete each other and reproduce. You know that mm. reproduction and survival was the way they gained their intelligence. Then I, I think one could make a case for that. But that's not the way we we we're building AI. Um, you know, it's it's not not through massive uh, evolutionary processes. Right. Will you ever think about though, like what are the unintended consequences of this rate of like acceleration? With AI, uh, yes, and you know, we we don't we don't, we of course don't know. It's a you know right. very complex. Uh, I, I mean, like many things in life, you know, and uh, the, essentially the butterfly effect. You know, even for for mm-hmm. small things, you know, can can have huge effects in in the world. And AI certainly will have large effects. And to predict them is is hard. I think we can eliminate some of the scenarios like AI wanting to take over the world. I mm-hmm. think that's extremely unlikely. We can also predict that when AI gets to human level intelligence, um, a lot of jobs, I mean, virtually every job ultimately can be replaced by AI. Um, you know, robotics will be lagging behind, but that will will catch up the dexterity of humans. Um, actually, those are uh, people often get it wrong. Uh, it's white collar jobs, intelligent jobs Correct. that will be replaced first. Correct. Actually, it's a dexterity and sense acuity in humans that's actually much much harder. You know, like construction workers and and you know so on. Um, but it, you know, eventually robotics will catch up in that. But isn't that ultimately the the kind of life we want? I mean, is that kind of the utopia and paradise that we want, where we can uh, pursue? You know, there'll there'll be radical abundance because you know uh, ev- everything we need as humans to to survive will become trivially inexpensive and and can can be provided easily, and we'll be able to you know pursue grander dreams, uh, you know, whether that's space travel or whether we want to, you know, re- recreate some um, or create some communities that that suits us, whether, you know, creative, artistic or whatever, or work with technology. Um, it's, it, you know, it's, it's hard to say. And there will be obviously some people who really want nothing to do with mm. this technology. And I think that's fine as well. You know, I mean, if if people want want to live in a more dangerous world and sort of, you know, you know, look after themselves if that's what they want to do. I mean, the pioneers. If you go off to Mars, that's kind of what you're going to be doing too, right? Um, so I think it'll give us a freedom to do do things and create this uh, radical abundance. But the probably the bigger point that in my own thinking and why I'm not at all reluctant to work on AI. In fact, I um, totally motivated to work on AI is actually turn that around. And I think we need AI to save ourselves from ourselves. Mm. I think society has become so complex and we are facing so many problems, um, you know, with disease. I mean, it's very obvious now. Uh, Last year, it was obvious to most people that, you know, environmental things are, 
are not going heading in the right direction. Um, it's, I think it's very obvious that um, managing our own affairs governance is, is a disaster. I mean, yeah. the kind of political candidates, you know, are those the best two people that right. America could possibly come <laughs> up with, you know? And yep. the previous election was kind of the same question. But I mean, even worldwide, um, you know, the, the, the quality of governance, I mean, whether it's UK or European Union, I mean, they all have their problems. So, you know, you look at uh, disease, you look at environmental, you look at energy, you look at governance, uh, you look at aging that we'd like to conquer. Um, we really need AI to, to, to help us, uh, probably need it to help us survive, never mind to flourish. Yeah, that's an interesting way of looking at it. I think um, almost looks at it as since that we've come, we've become so entrenched in our emotions and our division that we might need AI to pull us back and to help change the, uh, you know, the climate and things of that nature and all these different yeah. functions because we're so emotional. We're so emotional. Yeah, yeah. I think society has become so complex, which is great. I mean, you know, I'd much yeah. rather be living now than 100 years ago. For I sure. Mean, it's, it's fantastic what, what we have. But I think it, it also brings this complexity with us. As you say, we're driven by emotions. I mean, you know, we elect people on an emotional basis, not yes. because they're the right people to, to be in charge. Or should they should they even have that much power over over right. us? You know, uh, so those kind of questions. And um, so another another way of looking at that I found useful is when you say, "Is AI going to be moral? Is it going to be good?" Right. Is you can again turn that around and say, "Well, what are the things in humans? What are the main reasons for humans to do bad things?" you know, whether you want to call them immoral, but to mm -hmm. do bad things. Now, the things that come to mind why we do bad things is we respond emotionally. You know, we want to lash out. We want to something. Yeah. There's something happening. And, you know, 9-11 is, is a good example. Um, it's, you know, far away enough now that people one can talk about it. You know, 9-11, we wanted to lash out. We had to lash out at something. We had to do something, you know. It wasn't really, it didn't matter whether we hit out at the right group of people or, or wrong. So that emotional reaction, and that was uniform. Um, you know, some of my liberal friends don't remember it, but yeah, let's, we, let's go out. We've got to bomb somebody, you know? Right. Um, so it's emotional response. It happens in everyday life as well that, you know, we react emotionally. Correct. Um, then, so that's one of the, the causes for us doing bad things. Uh, the second thing is we often don't have enough information. 9-11 again is a, good example weapons of mass destruction mm -hmm. you know we didn't really have enough information and we're not good at gathering information you know and now it's again become much more apparent with fake news and and right even using ai to you know it, it's just it's very hard for us to actually get enough information we're not really designed to be good at that um so lack of information um the second reason we often do the wrong thing, do something bad. And the third one is um, that we're not very good at, at, at thinking, at rational thinking. Uh, it's sort of a, a byproduct evolution, but evolution hasn't really optimized us to think rationally. And, you know, whether it's the ego getting in the way or mm -hmm. confirmation bias or whatever it might be, but we're not really that good. Now, an AI isn't going to suffer from any of these three. 
or at That's least true. to a much lesser yeah. extent. It's not going to react emotionally. It'll have much more information and it'll be able to think much more clearly than we can we can do. So by having an AI, an AI inherently isn't going to be bad for any of those reasons that humans are uh, are, are bad bad at. And in fact, it can help us think more clearly. It, you know, once we each have our personal AI assistant. It can be like the angel on our shoulder and and say, hey, maybe you want to just think about this is, you know, something really bad. Somebody really slighted you, did you in or something? But okay, let's just think about it, you know, <laughs> for, yeah. for a bit. And maybe you can do something else that'll have a better outcome for you in the long run, you know. Do you see AI being like building other AI like that? Let's say they're aware of themselves and they say, I need to build more of me. Is that a concern or something that we're looking for? I'm not sure if that's a good or bad question, but it just, it makes me uh, think well, of it, that, you know? It, I, oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, we're already using narrow AI to help us build AI. Um, and, and, you know, clearly once we get, as we get closer and closer to human level AI, it'll become more and more useful. In fact, you know, I, I'll I'll retire from the company and I'll retire from my work when my AI is better at doing my job than I am. Mm. You know, so, uh, yes, AI will help to build more AIs, but not. I think in the way you phrased it, that they will not have the the motivation themselves that hey we've got to create lots of ais you know like right for a bad uh, purpose uh, not for a yeah, bad like, like a human like a human might have you know right it'll just be that's one of the jobs they will be able to do well is to improve their own design as you know so to speak do you think that there'll be ai um in people's homes and let's say a robotic level where the ai looks like a human the skin and everything that we will want that I don't think so. Interesting. I, don't I mean, yeah, really? maybe sex dolls or something. You know. Yeah, I read about this book, Sex Robots and Vegan Meat, and it was all about the sex robotic industry. But I wonder what's the appetite for people? If, do they want something that looks like them? With yeah, you know, uh, I can't say that I'm an expert on. on yeah, that I don't subject. know. I'm just curious I'm, I'm, about it. Yeah, I'm. I'm, sh I'm sure. I'm, you know, I'm sure there will be there will be a market for sex robots. Um, I I don't know. I mean. It's hard to predict, you know, will people ultimately fall in love? Will they want, you know, uh, I mean, once you have a, a robot that also uh, doesn't just have a sexy body, but has a, you know, sexy brain as well, mm -hmm. uh, talks intelligently and, you know, will will people fall in love with them? And, you know, it's a much easier companion to have, you know, stroke their egos constantly and so on. Um, I mean, it's a bit like... Uh, addictions that we're going to have like video game vr addictions mm -hmm. you know where, where people the vr experience is so good you can shape your own experience in in the virtual reality um that's much better than the real world and people will get addicted to that i mean we already have that uh, problem will people get addicted to um robots mm -hmm. um as as companions I, i'm sure some people will um I would imagine the majority of people would not actually want the robots to look like humans, and it also yeah. wouldn't—it also wouldn't make them the most efficient. I mean, if you want a robot to cook for you or to clean the house or to do whatever you want to do to look, you know, help you look after your elderly parents or whatever, they will have a very different shape to be optimized to do those tasks. Right, right. 
No, that makes that makes a lot of sense. So you mentioned the different waves. What's the fourth wave that you anticipate seeing? Uh, I, I don't believe there is. Uh, there's a need for a fourth wave mm. because the third wave is a cognitive architecture. It's inherently building. Uh, an AI that has all of the components required for intelligence. And then it's a matter of cranking that up, basically, uh, you know, uh, bringing that closer and closer to human level intelligence uh, and, and, and beyond. So I don't, I don't believe there's in, in the sort of DARPA type Mm -hmm. terminology of three waves. I don't believe uh, there's another wave required after that. So how, you know, in terms of time span, I mean, I'm sure it's hard to predict, but what's the timeline, generally speaking, for reaching human level intelligence in your mind? Yeah, the expert uh, disagree very widely on, you know, what what number to put down. Um, You know, some obviously some people say never, you know, human uh, intelligence can never be uh, simulated. now, my own answer is um, it really not. It, it's not so much in terms of how many years; it's more in terms of how many dollars, because oh. at the moment, very very few people are working on third wave cognitive architectures, and it, it's kind of an accident of history. The second wave has been so incredibly successful at solving certain narrow problems and particularly targeted advertising um, that. It's almost the only game in town. You want to do a PhD in AI? It's got to be on deep learning, machine learning. You won't even mm. find a sponsor. Um, you know, you want to earn big bucks? Deep learning, machine learning. You want to get your company funded? Deep learning, machine learning. So um, until that stops and people realize that narrow AI, um, you know, that there's an alternative to narrow AI. I mean, at the moment, People say, "Well, that's the only thing we can we can do." Cognitive architectures haven't had that breakthrough yet, and uh, it's it, it really depends on, you know, you need a certain amount of effort put into cognitive architectures to solve the technical problems that are remaining, and uh, we haven't seen that yet. Uh, if we saw a concerted effort going into cognitive architectures, I believe we could have human level intelligence in less than ten years. I don't believe there are any wow. theoretical. Uh, or hardware limitations that would prevent that. Whoa, that's crazy. Now, what would you see that would cause us to shift from our current perspective or deep learning, machine learning? What would be maybe an inflection point to say, no, we need to turn towards this? Uh, well, you know, it's like these chaotic systems. You have you have something, it's like almost like fashions. You have uh, you're, there's already a, a lot of dissatisfaction with machine learning, deep learning, and uh, the area that I understand best is what my company is working on is conversational AI, mm-hmm. um, and you know chatbots are really pretty bad. Uh, we talk to a lot of large companies, very large companies, large enterprise, and they've tried for years to provide service to their customers via chatbots, and they've you try to use the best technology available. Some of the companies, some of the banks have literally hundreds of people working on their chatbots. And the uh, the usage uh, and customer satisfaction is abysmal. Um, you know, they, they're just not very good unless you just want to say, well, what's my balance? And yeah, they can do that All well. Right. But you really can't have an ongoing conversation. They don't understand you. They don't have memory. They don't remember what you said 
two sentences ago, never mind what you said last week. Um, they have very shallow understanding. You know, if you say to uh, to to your to your chatbot or your personal assistant, if you say, "I hate Uber, never give me never give me Uber again," it'll probably trigger the Uber app because that's kind of the statistically the closest thing that matches to. Uh, they have you know no common sense, so no memory, no deep understanding, no reasoning, no common sense. Um, now with the the approach that we have is basically call it a chatbot with a brain, uh, whereas other chatbots don't have a brain. They're just scripted. It's just a flowchart, basically, deep learning and flowcharting. And once people see the success that you can have with having a chatbot that actually has a brain, um, that might be an inflection point saying, oh, yeah, this is really different. Like uh, I think the breakthrough that Siri was for for using voice as a channel. Yeah. Siri was a real breakthrough, whereas before that, people used voice as an interface, but it it just wasn't really good enough. It, you know, the, the, the consensus was that the technology isn't there yet. And then Siri changed that. It was good enough and obviously popular enough with, 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 with iPhone that people said, wow, this, yeah, we, we can talk to computers now. And so I think it's that kind of uh, inflection point, and then you know suddenly everybody wants to jump on the bandwagon, yeah. and then you see a, see a lot of support. I, I don't know how far that is. I don't know. We're obviously doing our level best, but we're a small company um, uh, to you know make that happen. And but I, I don't you know there'll there'll be some there are other companies working working on those approaches, but they're all at the moment they're all very small small and yeah I don't know when that breakthrough is going to happen. The large companies are so deeply entrenched in deep learning machine learning that's the hammer they've got they've got a lot of data they've got a lot of processing power um, and statistical systems are good enough for their advertising dollars you know so the big companies are unlikely to 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 switch over seriously to cognitive architectures um but that's no different from you know any any yeah. change in technology it's got to be new companies that come out i mean how did little facebook startup how could they ever hope to compete against google and they did you know because google didn't understand the domain but then how did little startup google ever compete with that's the, exactly the, the, right the, the giants available or Amazon, little startup Amazon, how could they ever tackle, take on Walmart, you know? Um, so it, it, it really requires um, companies that think differently where the whole culture of the company, the DNA of the company is not deep learning, machine learning, but is uh, cognitive architectures and real intelligence. Oh, that's a really good point. I mean, I think sometimes people think of these large institutions in, in any uh, field, to be the creators of change, but usually it's the it's the small person, the small guy or team, the the thoughtful innovators that end up disrupting the system to cause the change for that. I don't think we think about it that way enough. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they like big oil tankers. You know, they just um, mm-hmm. they they need that stability. You know, they 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 basically have to to milk milk the investments that they've made in, in yeah. the technology. So you, you, you have that whole thing. Now you do get people like Elon Musk, you know, where you have this visionary really running the company and mm-hmm. they, and, and, 
Bezos, of course, where they care much less about next quarter's, um, you know, they, they understand that innovation is what, what, what yeah. they're really interested in, you know. Uh, that's what's driving them personally. It's not, you know, the bottom line, really. Right, the earnings so. reports and stuff. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, Peter, this has been truly uh, excellent and tons of information. I appreciate you giving me the time to chat about something I know you're very passionate about. Yeah, as you as you noticed, I, I love talking about it. It's my, <laughs> my passion in life. And yeah, anybody who who's interested in more information on, you know, ethics, on AI, on you know, on, on these topics, free will or whatever, I, I have quite a number of articles on medium.com. You can just uh, find me there. Uh, or my website, um, my, my commercial website, igo.ai, AIGO.ai. Um, and yeah, I'd love to hear from people. That's awesome. Well, definitely we'll have people go over there. I will. I love AI. I love, I jumped on this when they, um, the folks from uh, Kidcaster told me about you. I was like, oh, I, I could talk about this all day. Like, <laughs> I'm very into it. So it's been a real pleasure for me. I appreciate you coming on and thanks for your time. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Thank, thanks for all the good questions and thanks for having me. Okay. Bye-bye. You got it. So let me ask you something. How do you get your news? Because I know you want to stay informed with what's going on here in the world. There's so much going on on a regular basis. And it's something that's been a problem for me personally. And I've been searching and searching and searching. And finally, I found a news source that I think all of my listeners are going to love. It's called The Donut, or The Dose of News Useful Today. The founder and CEO, Peter Nowak, is a good friend of mine. And when he turned me on to it, I was just blown away. Finally... A daily news source that delivers succinct and factual news about all the world's occurrences and it's an easy access to finding things that you just want to get information about and it also serves up a lot of positive news stories that you won't hear anywhere else it's your daily reminder that there is good in the world even if it doesn't feel like it sometimes so get the donut stay informed it's hundred percent free you can unsubscribe anytime Visit thedonut.co or text DONUT to 66866 to sign up today. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dr. D's Social Network. Make sure you listen to future episodes. Also, please make sure to rate and review My Dad's Show on Apple Podcasts in the Rate and Review section. Thanks, everyone. Sure, we have 30 seconds to tell you that drivers who switch to Progressive could save big. But then what? Well, there is a nice piece of stock music playing behind me that a talented composer worked really hard on. So let's enjoy it. Wow, almost overshadows the saving big when you switch to Progressive part. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Any workout, any mood, any time. That's what the Peloton Tread is all about. From interval runs that motivate you to go the extra mile, power walks that work up a sweat, rolling hill hikes for you to enjoy, and full body boot camps to hit your goals. Plus thousands of workouts that go beyond the tread. Strength programs, core classes, yoga, Pilates, and even boxing. Everything you need on and off the Peloton Tread. Experience it all for yourself with a 30-day home trial. Learn more at OnePeloton.com.